Pray with me. Pray with me. Father, we're glad to be here. We can't think of anywhere we'd rather be right now than with you, with your people. Because to be here is to realize that we are not alone. That you have anticipated us today. You preceded us, Lord. You welcomed us into this place, into your presence. And suddenly, Lord, we, like Jacob at Bethel, look up and realize we are not alone. That here is where our king is. Here is where our love is. That you are the one. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And now we understand, Lord, that you sent him to bring us back to you, that, that you would rather die than live without us. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to comprehend that truth today, that you would draw us near, God, because we want to be near to you. And even here, God, we can build walls around ourselves that, that nobody can climb over and nobody can see through. But because you have shown us the way, the transparency, the vulnerability, because you emptied yourself and took the form of a servant and descended, Lord, all the way from heaven, all the way down to us. Now, Lord, we want to be with you. So bring us back, God. God who created us. Reconcile us to yourself. Redeem us. Reclaim us. Restore us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. God is good all the time. It is so good to be home today with you. We have been sort of halfway around the world. Just to give you a perspective, it took us 32 hours from when we left an airport in Indola to make it back to Houston, Texas. There were two four hour layovers, three flights. Two of them were 10 hours apiece. Um, you know, we wanted to kind of click our heels together and say there's no place like home and it just be over with. But we lived an amazing amount of life in those 12 days that we were gone. And uh, not to share all of it, but just to say it was amazing. This, uh, this day last week, we were with Indola Baptist Church and the joyfulness of that congregation as they worship was unforgettable. I was planning to preach in the morning. The man who was to preach in the evening lost his voice. And so they said, the elders who prayed with me before the service said, hey, would you preach tonight too? And I said, sure. And then I got to teach uh, a group of pastors, about 150 pastors. And it was just unforgettable. The things I learned in small group with them um, will shape my understanding of ministry for the rest of my life. So thank you for the privilege of going. I understand uh, Les Collins took good care of us. Um, I'm grateful for him. I was thinking why I love him so much, and maybe it's because we have loved the same church. He for 20 years uh, as pastor, and me now for 13 years. I kind of feel like Stacy King, who said, You know, I remember the day Michael Jordan and I scored 72 points. You know, I scored one and he scored 71. That's kind of the way I feel about Lester. I'm grateful for his ministry to us. Uh, he turns 89 in August. Is that not amazing? And uh, he is going strong and serving the Lord. So I thank God for him. I'm also not unaware of the fact that for me to go away 
places an enormous um, burden of ministry on the rest of the staff. Um, my thanks to Larry Bertrand, who cares for souls here, and for Larry Heslip, and for Carlos Ictor, and uh, for Eddie Halleck, and for myriad other ministers who share this work of loving this congregation with me. So thank you to them and to you for letting me go and for letting um, me and Chase go and, and just learn and grow and, and seek the Lord. So it's, it's good to be back with you. And when I left you, we were thinking about Abraham and his family. And we'd made it into the, the third generation of the Abraham family. In fact, the fourth generation has now been born. And, and when we left, Jacob had met God and wrestled with him. He had grappled with God. And his name had changed. And he had changed. And he became one who struggled with God. Israel became his name, but you know about Jacob. You know, once Abram became Abraham, he was always Abraham. Have you noticed that in Genesis? But Jacob becomes Israel, but sometimes he's Jacob, and it's kind of like Simon and Peter. You know, it's just Jacob has great moments and bad moments, and he's encountered God, and he's on the way, but he's got to face his brother. And his brother shows up in chapter 33 with 400 men, with a small army. And now that he's reconciled with God, he's got to reconcile with his brother. And in some ways, will you agree with me? It's harder to forgive within our own family. Maybe we can forgive total strangers more easily than we can forgive in our own families. The stakes are high, I understand. But we've got to get this right. We've got to get this right. So would you open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 33? I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, I'll be mentioning some other verses along the way, so just kind of stay with me. Genesis 33, 1 to 11. Let's stand together to read God's Word in honor of our great God, our great and gracious and good God. Hasn't He been good to us? Genesis 33, verse 1. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpah. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph in the rear. And he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. And he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. And then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. And next Leah and her children came and bowed down. And last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. And Esau asked, what do you mean by all these droves I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I've already, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me. And I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Thank you. You may be seated. How good and pleasant it is 
When brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, Psalm 133, one of the Psalms of the Ascents, let every parent in this room say how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Isn't that the desire of parents' hearts? Isn't that why Job sacrificed every time his kids had a birthday party together because he just knew that somebody might have said something or done something and that it might have offended and that it might have caused warfare within the family. I spoke with a lady after our last service. She said it was on my mom's 75th birthday party that my sister and I got at odds with each other and we wondered whether we would ever forgive each other for the things we said. Why does Jacob fear his brother Esau? Well, just to rehearse, just to remember, um, he stole his brother's birthright for a, a bowl of porridge and then... And then he stole his brother's blessing by lying to his father. And the last time he saw his brother, Genesis 27, verse 41, Esau said, when dad dies, you're dead. When dad dies, you're dead because I'm going to kill you. And that's why Jacob left. And that's why 20 years before he has gone away and along the way met God at Bethel. And along the way, God blessed him with this amazing family, 11 sons and a daughter. And he's worried for his life and he's worried for their lives and he's calculated and he finally decides I'm going to bribe my brother. I'm going to buy his forgiveness. So he sends all these herds of animals and he's calculated, divide his family into two groups because if they kill one group then maybe the other part of the family can get away and this is the old Jacob, you know, before he wrestles with God at Peniel, he says I'll send my family and I'll be last. But this time he lines up his family and he runs to the front and he bows down before his brother and he calls him his Lord. And his brother has become the equivalent of a king. And he gives him the gift that is worthy of a king. His brother now is what, what is later called Edom. He has all of this land and all of these resources and an army of 400 men. And, and he wonders whether his brother is going to receive the bribe. And instead Esau surprises us because he runs to Jacob, not to hit him but to hug him, to embrace his brother and to kiss him and to weep. And though he doesn't say it, his actions show it. He has forgiven Jacob. And Jacob is just overwhelmed. And don't miss what he says. He says, when I realized you forgave me, looking in your eyes was like seeing the face of God. At Peniel, just the night before, he had found God's forgiveness for his foolishness. He had seen God face to face and he had survived the experience. But he didn't know if he would survive seeing his brother face to face. But suddenly when Esau forgave, Esau's face became like the face of God to him. When did you see the face of forgiveness? Was it your parents when they found out all you had done and all they could say was, I love you? Was it your brother or your sister from whom you'd been estranged? Maybe it was your kids who forgave you as parents. What, what was the face of forgiveness like? And can we just agree today that if ever anybody forgives us and we look in their eyes, we see God's face in that. To err is human. We know that too well. To forgive is divine. It's a quality in the heart of God to forgive, that God wants to forgive his children. And when you and I not only receive grace, but we share grace with others, 
We are showing people the very face of God himself. Watch how this unfolds in their lives and watch how it unfolds in our lives. How after years of sibling rivalry, two brothers come together and it has cosmic consequences. It's astonishing because the kids are all watching. And I don't want you to miss this. I didn't see this till this morning. I just keep reading and studying. I never quit till I stand up here. How Joseph is the last one in line. And there's going to come a a day years later in Egypt after, after Jacob dies that the brothers come and say, Dad told us one last thing before he died. He didn't tell you, but he told us to tell you that you're supposed to forgive us. And Joseph says, am I in the place of God? Where did Joseph learn to forgive? Well, from God, to be sure. But the audience is watching. Here's why we got to get this right. Because when we don't forgive, there's another generation behind us and another generation behind them. And when we get it right, then they know how to relate to each other. And when we don't get it right, then they learn that Joseph is there and he sees his uncle Esau forgive his father Jacob for unspeakable crimes. And then when Joseph's brothers commit unspeakable crimes against him, he feels like he has no alternative but to forgive. This is the face of forgiveness. This is the face of God. We've got to forgive because our kids are watching. We've got to forgive because unless we do, we are never going to be free. Unforgiveness enslaves us it puts us in bondage that we can't get out of so just watch this as it unfolds that just two truths this morning the first is no no matter how much you're willing to pay you can't buy forgiveness I mean you go back to chapter 32 and verses 13 to 15 um, Jacob puts together this amazing um, parade of animals we learned while we were over in um, Africa that a group of of um, elephants, not called a pack of elephants. It's called a parade of elephants. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? We saw 46 of them at one time. We saw hundreds of them in a day. It was kind of surreal. You know, I was jogging by our hotel and I looked up and there was a giraffe. I, who am afraid of dogs on the bayou. I'm looking up and like, are we friends? Yeah, we're good. You don't have teeth, do you? Okay, good, good. I'll just stay over here. You stay over there. We'll be good. You know, you're jogging along and there are zebras sort of running beside you. I mean, it's just kind of un- unbelievable. And just imagine that Jacob sends his brother, I added him up, uh, you know, 580 animals. I mean, wouldn't you think just like one good camel would have been enough? But no, 580 because more than anything, Jacob, whose life was incredibly materialistic to this point, is willing to give it all up to receive his brother's forgiveness. What would you pay to be forgiven? Melanie and I just caught a clip uh, last night of a really not that good movie, but we were watching it, and this dad has abandoned his family, and he has not been there for them, and they have grown up without his influence, but the dad has made a lot of money, and he speaks to his future son-in-law and says, it's okay, because my daughter... I've got $100 million for her that I've set aside in a Swiss bank account, so it's going to be okay. But in the course of the movie, the money is not enough. $100 million will not buy his daughter's forgiveness. And there's this poignant scene where she says, I didn't want your money. I wanted you. 
So you can't buy forgiveness. And the story is he marches all these animals. Look, there are ancient accounts of kings meeting kings who did not send this many animals. This is astonishing. This is, this is an, a crazy amount of money that Jacob is giving to his brother because he wants forgiveness that badly. And his brother says, yeah, I don't want your stuff because more precious than all the possessions you've accumulated More precious than that is your relationship with your family. I'm telling you, it's it's worth more. And it's interesting in verse 8 of chapter 33 that Esau says, why? Why did you send all this stuff? But if you go back to chapter 32, Jacob tells the servants who are taking the animals, tell him I'm trying to get his favor. What I want is his favor. The New Testament word, his grace. I want, how much does grace cost? How much would you pay for grace, what would you do to, to be forgiven, to experience reconciliation? I realized before we left on our trip that um, I was carrying a pretty heavy weight in a relationship with one of my brothers. Um, on the trip, we carried, <laughs> everybody told us to pack light. We had between us eight, including our carry-ons, eight bags. That's all good until you're walking through airports um, over a period of 32 hours. And uh, man, we wished we had not taken what we had um, with us. But anyway, um, the bigger weight for me before we left that I realized was um, I was upset at one of my brothers. And I, he didn't know I was upset at him. And I didn't even know I was upset at him until I was praying one day. And, you know, sometimes I pray. This is dangerous. But just say, God, bring to my mind anything in my heart that's not right with you. And, and faithfully, he does. And it was like, you're not right with your brother. And so I texted my brother, which was very hard. I procrastinated. Did you ever do that? Finally, I texted him and said, we need to talk. Um, this is not a setup. I don't want to argue with you. I just, there's something not right in my heart towards you, and I want to make that right. And then he didn't answer my text. <laughs> and so I called him, and then I waited. It was like, I don't know, like 45 minutes. It seemed like 45 years waiting for him to call. And finally he called. I said, okay, again, this is not a setup, um, but I'm upset with you, and here's the deal. I'm afraid it's going to affect us, but more than that, I'm afraid it's going to affect our kids. And I don't want that. And so can I just tell you first, I'm, I'm sorry because I've been really mad at you. And here's why I've been mad at you. And I don't even know if I'm right to be mad at you. And, and I love my brother because he's, he's just, he's a good man. And he said, yeah, you're right. I didn't handle that right. And I'm so sorry. And we've, we forgave each other. And I'm telling you, it was like the sunrise. I mean, there's just nothing like the forgiveness and the freedom that comes from forgiveness. And this is the way Christian families relate to each other. We don't like say thank you to Jesus for forgiveness and then hold a grudge against our sister for a hundred years. That's not the way followers of Jesus act. And I realized after that, I was thinking, man, what would I have given to know that he forgave me, but it didn't cost me anything. Here's what I want to say to you. You don't have enough money to buy the forgiveness of your family. But the good news is the price has already been paid and the same blood that reconciles us to God is the same price that was paid so that we don't have to live at odds with each other, but we can be reconciled and we can live in reconciled relationships And I know it's hard and sometimes just even initiate that dialogue. It's like, why would I put myself through that? 
And what if they don't agree? And what if they don't understand? And what if I make a fool of myself? And I just want you to know that Jesus endured the foolishness of the cross so that we could be right with each other. And nothing in the world is like it. Here's the deal. Unless we do that, our kids are going to never know how to forgive each other. And our dream that our kids will dwell together in unity will be lost, sacrificed on the altar of our own unforgiveness toward our own family members. And then I want you to see that unless we forgive each other, we can never be free. And this is what happens. This is what he means when he says, when I saw your face, it was like the face of God. Because when his brother comes running to him, notice this. I just want you to see the sequence there in chapter 33, verse 4. It says that Esau ran to him as he was bowing down. He comes running and he throws his arms around him and he kisses him and they both weep because 20 years of, of slavery to anger and unforgiveness is eradicated in an instant as Esau takes the high road and forgives his brother and kills him with kindness. Who would have thought Esau of all the characters would get it right? I mean, who would have thought that Esau would show us a better picture of the face of God? You know what, I I read that and it just, I started reading this over the last couple weeks and I thought, where have I seen that? Ran to him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And you know where I found it? I found it in Luke chapter 20. Um, In Luke chapter 15, verse 20. And it's in the story of the prodigal son. And the son is rehearsed and he's coming home and he spent all of his dad's money on riotous living and he's coming home and he said, I don't even deserve to be your your son. I'll just be your slave at work, dad. I'll just be your servant. And it's the father who runs down. It's the same verbs runs down the road, throws his arms around him and kisses him. Esau is a picture of the heavenly father. The face of forgiveness is the face of our father. And it's so different from the actual story of the prodigal son where the older brother, who's Esau in this case, will not, cannot, won't forgive because he's keeping score and he's mad at his brother and he's mad at his dad for forgiving his brother. You remember that part of the story, Tim Keller, prodigal God, remember all that? Don't be that person. This week when we were there, I, I had the privilege of teaching about 150 pastors. And I mean, it was so well organized. And the people had, had written to publishing companies and gotten five books for 150 pastors, 750 books given to us for free so we could give each of those pastors a small library about the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, it was amazingly coordinated. And so I spilled the beans on Tuesday. I'm preaching um, to this group of men. And I said, you know, we've got a gift for you at the end. We're going to give you some books and there's a young man, remarkable young man, Malenga, who stands up at the end and he says, hey, um, here's the deal. Um, we're not going to give you the books unless you come to every session because we don't want you to just show up on Friday afternoon and go, hey, where are my books? But if you're here every session, we're going to give you all the books. We're going to sort of prorate it because by the end of the week we had more than 150 people. And, and one of the guys in the back raised his hand and said, thank you because last time you said that but you didn't do and so I'm asking you to do what you say. Because last time I knew this other pastor across town, he showed up the last day and he got all the same stuff I got and I was here every day. And I bit my lip because I was thinking of Jesus' parable in Matthew 20 about the, you know, the workers in the vineyard 
who like some of them start working early in the day and they're promised a denarius a day's wage and some start working at midday and then somebody works the last hour and the vineyard owner pays him the same, pays him a denarius. And then the other ones who've worked all day think, oh, we're going to get eight times that, you know, because we worked eight hours in the sun and they get the same wage. And there's this, it's amazing. Listen to this. At the end of that parable, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 15, um, the owner of the vineyard, who I think represents God in this case, says, can I spend my money? Can I give my grace however I want to? Or are you envious because I am generous? Don't ever resent grace. Don't ever resent what God does for somebody else. You know why? Because it took the same grace to forgive us. We could never have been forgiven were it not for grace. So if we start being envious or resentful of somebody else's grace or like the other parable that Jesus tells, you know, we, we owe a million dollars and we're forgiven and then somebody owes us a nickel and we want to beat them up, then, then God says, yeah, well, you don't really understand forgiveness. In fact, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you don't forgive, you can't appreciate my forgiveness. It's worse than that. You can't appropriate, you can't experience my forgiveness unless you forgive other people. You'll never be free. I've got this friend who worships in our earlier service. Two guys in a gun battle in Galveston. One shoots at the other, unknown to them, goes through the door, pierces the jugular of my friend's granddaughter. She doesn't even have a dog in the fight. She's just standing in her apartment. She's put on life support when they find her. Over a period of days, she's on life support. And my friend is keeping vigil with his granddaughter who was, I've seen the pictures, I've heard the story, beautiful in every way. She was 19 years old. And my friend clearly heard God say to him, as he was driving up to the hospital one day, go to the church and pray. And he went to this little Lutheran church. He had a key to the church because he often went there to pray. And he said, God told him, unless you forgive the man who shot your granddaughter, you and I can't be right and he went to that young man in prison, in the, in the jail, and told him he forgave him and testified on his behalf in the court proceeding. Who does that? Who forgives in that way? This young man that I met, winsome young pastor, Malanga, maybe the best story from the experience there is this young man, Malanga. Somebody told me, you gotta hear his story. So I went to him and I said, I gotta hear your story. He said, okay, let me tell you my story. He said, when I was in college, Dr. Zimba, Moffat Zimba, this um, amazingly um, charismatic leader, charisma in the very best sense of that word, leader of North Rise University, God gave him a vision in eight years. Uh, he's established a university there, um, cast that vision all across our country, and, and God's blessing it. And he was speaking, and he looked at Malanga on the front row of the class and said, you know, God works in amazing ways to disciples. Malanga, you might have to go to prison in order to become the man that God wants you to be. Malenka said, I was shaking my head going, no, no, I do not have to, don't say that. I do not have to go to prison. It was sometime later, a friend of his was praying for him and prayed and then prophesied and said, I believe you're gonna go to prison, Malenka. If you knew Malenka, he's the least likely guy in the world to ever end up in prison. And then he was watching an American preacher, a lady on television, and she said, in the story of Joseph, sometimes you gotta go to prison to be humble the way God wants you to be. And Malanga heard all this in rapid succession, forgot about it. Nine months later, a man invited him after he graduated from North Rise to go and join him in a ministry in orphanages. This man owned all these orphanages in another country, Tanzania. He rides with him there. They're looking at the orphanages. Police pull them over and um, unceremoniously evict them from the car and send them to jail because the man who took Malanga with him was a criminal, a con man. They were in a stolen car, but Malanga didn't know it. 
So they get to, to jail the first night. Five men beat Malanga up and leave him for dead in the other room. And he prays all night long. And they hear him praying. And one of them in the next morning says, I heard you praying. You must be a Christian. Would you pray for me? Because I need prayer, man. I'm in a lot of trouble here. The guy who beat him up said, would you pray for me? And Malanga prayed for him and for those other men. And all of them were released within a couple days. But Malanga stayed. And weeks turned into months and he became bitter until he met a man named Marshall who'd been there since 1973 who was put in because his brothers had murdered a man. He went to visit his brothers and they thought all the brothers were guilty so they arrested him too. Ultimately, the other brothers got out but Marshall was left in prison on death row and he said to God when he became a Christian, he remembered a message and he said, God, if you will get me out of death row, even if I spend the rest of my life in prison, I will serve you. And God answered his prayer. He miraculously got off of death row, but he was left in prison. He's been there since 1973, 38 years. Malanga said he preaches like a madman. He runs up and down in that prison every day telling people about Christ. And by one calculation has led 40,000 people to Christ in 38 years. And Malanga said, when I heard his story, I said, I'm not going to be bitter. I went to seminary. God called me to pastor he's put me here I'm going to pastor here so he started praying with people and preaching to people and he said he saw people healed and he he saw people's lives change and people become Christians and the weeks turned into months turned into years and they were still waiting for their arraignment for their trial and the man who had gotten him in trouble in the first place um, planned an escape he was a con man he conned a lot of people in the prison and he almost escaped but it failed and so he took an overdose and he went into a coma And he was lying there and he was dying. And the prison warden called Malanga in and said, whatever you do, don't help him. We know who you are now. We know you're a pastor. We know you're not guilty. But if you help him, the authorities, the jury is going to believe that you were involved with him in some way. So let him die. And Malanga thought, that makes sense. Until he read Matthew chapter 5, which says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And God made it clear, you have to serve this man. And so he went in, and this man could not take care of himself. So he fed him and bathed him and cleansed him. And every day he said, Jesus, I'm not doing this for him. I'm doing this for you. And the man survived. And when the time came for their arraignment before the judge, that man who who never spoke another word to Malanga, but when he saw Malanga preaching and praying, Malanga said he would look and that man would be crying. And that man said to the judge, he pointed at Malanga and said, this man is innocent. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't know what I was doing. I just picked him up in Zambia and brought him with me. And based on that testimony, Malanga was set free. Now listen to his testimony. He said, if I had done what the prison warden had said to me, common sense, and let him die, I would still be in prison. But because... I did what the scriptures say. Today, I am free. And if you're wondering what it would take for you and I to be free, here it is. Receive God's grace. And then by all means, give grace to others to see forgiveness, is to see the face of God. Who would love this week, before we take the Lord's Supper together next week, Who would love this week to hear from you and see your forgiveness and see the face of God in you and whoever that person is for their sake, for your sake, for God's sake, forgive them and let them know. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace. 
grace that is greater than all of our sin. Lord, we love grace, especially when we're on the receiving end. But I pray today, Lord, you would continue to transform us so that we who have been graced by you would become your graceful, grace-filled, gracious people, giving grace freely to those who have wronged us because the audience is watching. The next generation is at stake and the stakes are high. And because we'll never be free unless we do, God help us today. Not only to be forgiven, but to be forgiving. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.